0: How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of The Sean and Matt Show. My name is Matt, that is Sean, and welcome to our show. Sean, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about cities that are pedestrianizing blocks of streets. We're going to be talking about the Exorcism House. The house that inspired the movie The Exorcism Crazy. was purchased unknowingly by a buyer who didn't know the history. And then we're also going to be talking about the future of real estate. Go a little... um. Little big picture of the next five years and talk about yeah, it'll be fun. what we think the industry is going to look like. Nothing too crazy, nothing too in depth, but our overarching thoughts on processes and what needs to change in the next five years and mm-hmm. honestly what needs to change immediately, like yeah, next week. So, sure. why don't we start with an article from ALX Now, which um, if for those uh, paying attention at home, that is. Alexandria now, not Arlington now, but Alexandria now. The article is entitled City Looks to Permanently Pedestrianize a Block of King Street. Sean, the 100 block of King Street between basically Union and, and um, almost almost the water, but going in the other direction, has been um, shut down from cars for the past year and a half. And um, the city came out with a survey, and something like 90% of people wanted. ...it to be shut down permanently to cars. Um, Not only did people like this, but uh, maybe more importantly... ...the businesses liked it as well. This is a street in Old Town Alexandria that is the hub of restaurants, dining... um, ...walking tourism, Right leads right down to the waterfront. And uh, just driving on King Street is basically a nightmare with the trolley and all those people. So, Sean, what are your thoughts on Old Town, Alexandria,
1: considering a permanent pedestrian block. I, I like it. I, uh, I used to be a resident, an owner in Old Town, Alexandria. I used to walk down to this spot. And when you walk or drive, driving is a pain. Even just crossing King Street on that on that street is really tough. Uh, I was down there not too long ago, and I noticed that it was still closed, uh, closed down. And, you know, all of this trend started with the whole pandemic that they were widening sidewalks and trying to get people to eat outside more and giving businesses some leeway. But what that spawned was this whole trend that, Hey, maybe we don't really need this street anymore. Maybe uh, we just opened it, opened it to the public to And you know, old town Alexandria is very touristy. There's so many tourists there on weekends, especially. And so to have that open for them is, is a lot better because half of those sidewalks on King street, there's tables already set up. So there's, Grunching between and trying to, you know, all these tourists are trying to get through there. So to have that street open, awesome, awesome feel, and um, you know, just kind of a party vibe, party atmosphere. I think it'll bring more life to the area, more business to the area, more money to the area. I think it's a good decision. You and the mayor are just hanging out in Old Town, Alexandria. Yeah, I was hanging out with him the other day, actually. The ex-mayor, I saw him uh, not too long ago, but um, yeah. So we were talking, we were like, hey, you know, maybe we should open this up. And he was like, I, actually, it was my idea. I was like, hey, why don't we open this up? And he's like, you know what, you, Sean, you're, that's a really good idea.
0: Sean's being <laughs> facetious for those that don't know his humor. He um, he does know the former mayor, but um, uh, I, I think we should give credit to someone else for this. But, yeah, it wasn't me. Um, yeah, the, the, the sidewalks, not only in Old Town, but in other neighborhoods that have the restaurants, sometimes sidewalks only you know yay big and then you put out a couple tables out there and then you're squeezing in between diners walking past them and it kind of feels like you're walking through the dining service and then there's you know dogs that are sitting or barking out there and then and that can be an issue so basically having a a promenade where you, you can walk and you, there's not much to be gained by having cars on this street. Like, what? Yeah. Do you, there's, like, six parking spots. Like, you, you can't really go anywhere from this spot. Usually, cars that are on this street are looking for parking. Like, find, find a garage, like, a block away. And, you know, the sidewalks specifically, people walk so slow. Like, you would not believe how slow people walk. Just head in the clouds. Like get with the program. Like sometimes I don't even have a place to be. I'm still getting to that place very fast. Cause I am moving with a purpose and the people that are just standing in the middle of the sidewalk, you got to do something about that.
1: It drives me crazy. And I, I, I'm the same way, you know, being self-employed, you always feel like you've got to rush, rush to get things done. And we're, we're, we just get stuff done. You know, we move, we, and so when I'm behind somebody like that, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, sorry. what about Georgetown? The, the
0: sidewalks are very narrow. yeah. And, you know, recently Georgetown kind of expanded into the parking mm-hmm. lane um, at certain points. And now, listen, we're not going to try to shut down M Street. Like, I I think we, need to, a be, major be, we need to be careful because it's yeah. not like I, I'm not anti-car. I'm sure you're not anti-car. And this isn't like some crusade against cars. I, I think it's just making an area more safe because – when you have to pass someone, maybe you're like walking into the street to pass someone and and that's that's not a safe way to go about your business.
1: That's exactly it. There's certain blocks in certain cities that it will work on um, other cities. It's not going to work. Right. Um, but I think this block on King Street at the very edge of the water, it makes sense. There's and not only is it is King Street a main thing, but then that whole waterfront is is a main area that people congregate. And so. It's a natural thing for that to And be have you open been to up.
0: some European cities where you can just walk in the middle of oh, the street yeah. it's like so a cool. nice promenade and I feel like you can get to enjoy the architecture better when you're not just like crammed up to the side against like a gutter and a building.
1: Yeah, I was trying to think like in Arlington, where would this work, right? I mean
0: Uh, you know, possibly Shirlington. You know, I, I don't I don't yeah, know if you would wanna right. shut down. All of Campbell Avenue But yeah. that's just like The first thing that came to mind Because they do have Like wide sidewalks
1: Yeah because it's not An overly busy But there's a lot of Cafes and restaurants there That is a really good Good idea I think
0: parts of Clarendon Not necessarily Shutting down Clarendon or Wilson But you know You ever go to Clarendon On a Saturday night And the kids The oh, kids, kids now, The kids down the there The kids yeah. are overflowing Into the street and, and it's certainly not safe And you got Ubers and Lyfts Just doing whatever oh, yeah. They want to do So you know Maybe don't shut down The street But who who needs to park in Clarendon at, like, 9 p.m. on Wilson Boulevard? Right. And by the way, that's free parking. You, that's basically, like, robbing the city. Like, you don't need to park on the street, like, after 9 p.m. when yeah, maybe, all the businesses are shut down except for the bars.
1: Maybe that's it. You know, like, go park in a garage somewhere. There's, there's garages. There's new garages in Arlington as well. I mean, there's probably not enough. But just one block, and it, that, you know, you think right in that one block, right by the metro in Clarendon, should be, like, kind of, like, open. Right. Because there's, I mean – that whole area, you're right, it's mobbed all the time. Even if you can get those parking spots um, back where people can, can kind of congregate, it's, it's a good idea. But, you know, then they'll say, well, that's going to push people into the more residential area of Clarendon and blah, blah, blah. So you can see that way, too. So I don't know. Always good to think about new ideas and uh, how we can make our areas more fun. Yeah, I, I, I uh,
0: personally enjoyed um, the, the walking promenade of uh, King Street yeah. uh, when it was uh, shut down earlier um, this summer. and it, it was great. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the second topic. This comes to us from Washingtonian. The uh, title of the article is Honey, We Bought the Exorcist House. <laughs> Subtitle, Would You Live in the Place that Inspired a Famous Horror Movie? So this story comes to us from... P.G. County, literally a neighborhood just outside the border of Washington, D.C., little little neighborhood called Cottage City. Danielle and Ben spent months trying to trade in their apartment in the district for a house in the suburbs. Finally, they landed a three-bedroom tiny house in P.G. County. They did a lot of research, but there's one small thing that they missed. And this house, um, after doing more research inspired the events that led to the book which eventually led to the actual movie uh being put out what in in 1970 something so sean they didn't know the house had this history they got people coming you know on their driveway (laughs) taking (laughs) photos i think there was a documentary that that was filmed in in the driveway you know how would you feel if you oh. bought a house that, and man, I, I've seen this movie. I saw it when I was, I was probably too young to
1: see it. C- scary movie. Oh, Very scary. Completely scary. Especially when that like, crab walk thing happens. It's like, yeah, yeah. Almost peed my pants. Yeah. <laughs> Very scary. Oh my gosh. I would feel, I personally would feel like such an idiot that I didn't do the research, but I can see how it can happen. Right. Because you're, this buyer's market was nuts, and you know people are just jumping on every house that they can. And you know in this in this article, he was like, "Yeah, I was wondering why I got such a good deal on it, you know, or why the last three buyers had backed out." That might prompt you to say, "Hey, well, maybe we should look up this address." Um, sometimes when you look up the address, that might not pop up right away. Um, but apparently he found out the hard way he was saying
0: that as like a joke though. Right. What's that? That people backed out. He's like, Oh, that's why they backed
1: Uh, out. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I didn't look up the history of the house, but I didn't really read it in depth. So maybe he was joking about it. Maybe Uh, he was the only one that he ever bought it. So I don't know. Um, I I think people
0: did back out, but uh, but I I don't, I don't know if that was the reason.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but
0: they're, they're they're kind of funny. I I feel like these are, these are like two funny buyers. Um, because Let's see what um, the the girl, Danielle, she said she wasn't concerned because she said um, she knew that demons, unlike ghosts, possess people rather than real estate. Yeah. So the demons don't convey with the house.
1: Exactly. I mean, look on the bright side. You have to you have to think, uh, hey, this was in the past. Some people have lived here since. Uh, hopefully they haven't experienced the same thing, and hopefully it was just this this little boy that back in the 70s that was, you, you know,
0: know, obviously, um, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, mention any of this in the uh the MLS, but do you, do you think this affects a, a property's value?
1: Yeah, do you I definitely think it do.
0: Increases the value because of the celebrity status. In
1: in some instances, it may. In this instance, I don't think so. I think most people would probably be like, oh, it's it's a negative, and I think it'll probably pull pull the value down, but. I think it's such a cool thing. They could profit off it in different ways, right? I mean, the funny thing is, the guy's wearing a Ghostbuster shirt in the the picture. Yeah, no, that's it's fun. I mean, they're making light of it, and which is a really good thing to do in this instance. And he's right. They, you know, as far as I know, I'm no. um, I think we talked about this yesterday. I think you are. I I, might be an expert. I have watched enough paranormal (laughs) stuff that I think maybe I am an expert on this. But uh, you know, they're saying, well, these things possess humans, not houses and I guess the the child back then was exorcised not the home right I'm sure there were blessings on the home as well after that but uh you know the child was so the the demon was in the child and so
0: yeah yeah let me touch on that real quick so in 1949 according to news stories at the time a teenage boy was supposedly possessed by demons was exorcised by priests following weird happenings in the house, an inexplicably cold room, a chair that flipped over, and so forth. These stories captivated a Georgetown student to later write a novel and then a screenplay that became the 1973 film.
1: It's funny uh you know we've all seen the Exorcist and we know the Exorcist stairs right I had the, no idea the house is I the had area no I, too. I had no idea so you know I mean it's not their fault that they didn't know because I don't think many people would only the people that are gung ho on the Exorcist movie knew that that was it you know so um but it's funny we all know the Exorcist stairs right so like leading right up in Georgetown um but not the house. Didn't know where it originated.
0: I'm thinking you could have a heck of a time marketing and selling this property. I'm thinking if you live here, there's only one week that you're selling this property. That's the last week of October. That's October 31st. You're, you're hiring me and Sean. Sean's doing it. the crab walk you know, up <laughs> up and down the stairs. You're telling me that's not going to make first p- front page news. Absolutely. And everywhere? Think of the video we could do. On like this that place. is definitely going to increase the We could the do value. a
1: paranormal uh, video on yeah. that thing. Like, Oh, hey if you guys ever sell it and you see this please hire us we'll, we will do an amazing video for so this.
0: one of um, the guy's friends um, offered to bring over a Ouija board yeah and um, he, he declined the homeowner declined and said, last time someone did that they made a movie about my house yeah so he's uh, he's not too scared of um, any sort of demons but no, no Ouija boards in the house please okay let's move on to our final article this comes to us from inc.com title of the article is how entrepreneurs can capitalize on the shifts coming to the real estate industry zillow co-founder and ceo rich barton shares his predictions for the future of real estate sean this is a uh, very short article about what is going to take place over the next five to ten years Mm -hmm. in the real estate industry the trends are real estate agents still going to be here He starts off by saying virtual 3D tours and remote digital closings will be the norm. You know, I I had a a property go under contract yesterday. I didn't recognize the title company, so I called the title company. My seller is an American citizen in the Philippines. I called the title company. I almost knew the answer after looking at the title company's um, website, and I said, hey, are you able to use an online notary service like notarize.com, like every other title company can use to, to sign these papers? And he's like, no, what, what they can do is they can go to the, uh, the note, uh, to the notary at the embassy, or we could do a mail away package, a mail away package. We're halfway across the world. ain't happening. That's not going to happen. What will happen is we will now do a split settlement with Highland title. Who's able to offer those online notary services. So, Digital closings, 100% the norm. Next five years, maybe the next you know couple years.
1: Yeah, well, that all changed. And first, I want to go back to 3D tours. 3D tours, we started doing them seven years ago, right when the technology came out. There's still a lot of agents that don't do this. I'm surprised at that. And I think there's a lot of growth because you know, I think the trends start in the big, big areas like D.C., New York, L.A., whatever. But middle America, probably not doing 3D tours, and they're going to catch on at some point. So if you don't have a 3D tour company, might be something good to start, you know, in certain markets. Uh, but digital closings, I'll tell you, it's amazing now. We used to f- settle face-to-face, everybody in the same room, fights, uncomfortable, you know, wasn't always the nicest, most uh, comfortable thing to do. And then the trend lately has been split settlements, and especially since, since the pandemic, uh, everything has been separate. And do you know how many closings I had this week?
0: Well, you just told me. um, Two. So I had
1: two closings this week and I didn't go to either of them, which is completely strange to me because I've been to every closing for 18 years, every single one. So for me to not be at a closing, I just feel kind of naked. Right. Um, But this week I had one that was uh, notarized.com. One of my sellers was in California. The other one was in Baltimore and I'm here. And so you can join the call. Uh, You can be there to watch the whole thing, which is really neat. Um, So I think that's going to be the trend. I think this is definitely going to, you know, start because listen, we can all go to a a company and waste an hour or two or three, whatever, signing documents, or you can just sit in your bedroom or wherever you want to sit and sign your documents. It's the same thing. So uh, I think that's definitely going to be a, a, a real trend that's going to start taking over closings. What are your thoughts?
0: I completely agree. You know, the days of driving to the title company are done. So
1: yeah. So my second closing was actually, um, they weren't allowing anybody in besides the, the, the signers. So I couldn't go. I was like, well, I'll go sit in the parking lot and be there for support in that way. And they're like, just go home, just go home. We'll call you if we need you. So what I did was, uh, at, at the walkthrough, we just went through the numbers, make sure that they knew everything that they were signing, what the numbers meant. And then they went to the title company because Honestly, uh if you go to a title company, sometimes these title agents will not uh go through that document very thoroughly. I love the the agents that go through it and they're like explaining every single number and because you got to think these people the, the buyers don't really or sellers don't do this that often. So they want to know what these charges mean. And a lot of times they aren't described in detail. And so to go to a closing where uh they're in detail is nice. So just in case I went through those numbers again with them prior to closing today and uh, everything went smoothly yeah title companies
0: can be wrong so you know that's because um you know they have the fancy paper and, and the numbers you know definitely want to double check that mm-hmm. um over the next decade rich barton says buying a house will be as easy as trading your car it will be transparent with no information gatekeepers and no surprises i i what i'm wondering is why does it take 30 days to close on a house why yeah. Why aren't you just approved? Why isn't every appraisal, you know, like an online appraisal? Why does an appraiser have to go to the property, take worse pictures than are on the actual listing? You know, last year, you know, with um, everything going on and, and shutdowns and whatnot, I I sent over photos, I sent over a 3D tour, and I sent over a 10-minute listing tour video and said here's every single angle of the property they said nope we got to go and take our own photos why why is that the case
1: i ran through the same thing twice this week one um i just got news that it appraised and thankfully we had everything i had floor plans i had uh, all the updates that were done i had a 3d tour i had a video i had great pictures they still went out and did it um, but it appraised and it was, a, it was, I felt like, you know, we sold this thing high and it appraised today. I had an appraiser call me on my other listing and, uh, he was a really nice guy going through. Um, and I ha- again, I have a 3d tour. I sent him all that stuff. I had floor plans. He was very appreciative of it, but I think they need to verify themselves and really what they're doing is measuring. Uh, I think that's the main thing. They're going in there and they're measuring the walls and they're computing their own thing. And I'm like, well, I just did a 3D scan. You know, you could you could say, here's the 3D scan, right? And you but you can click the measure tool. They, they can, you can click the measure tool and see what the measurements are. But uh, eyes on is still happening. Now, we have run into instances this year and years past where they don't need to do the in-house inside uh, appraised value. Um, and I think I'm not an expert on this, but there are certain reasons why they wouldn't. And that's if they look at the values in the area and and it's predictably in within that range, they're not going to have to do it. And secondly, it depends on the buyer's qualifications, what they're putting down, uh, as to if they need an appraisal or not. So sometimes it really doesn't matter. And, you know, these lenders systems just say, check, nope, don't need it. So I think that's, that will be the trend, um, but, you know, those experts will always be there. And, and another thing is home valuations, right? Like we're seeing with some of the um, apps that we have, these valuations are there like that. Now, they're algorithms and they can be off, but we can kind of get a general idea. And if that's in the general area, then, hey, why not? Um, you know, and, and then this brings up another question. It's like, if somebody wants it, right? Like Like a car, right? do we have to get an appraisal for a car? No, that that guy could sell you you that car for $50,000 and it's worth 20, right? Um, So why is that? Uh, Why can't a buyer just buy something if they want it? Why does the bank have to say, hey, well, it's because they're giving you a loan for the value, but I don't know, you know?
0: The value is whatever the buyer is paying for. That's right,
1: right? So if there's three buyers that say, I want this at this price, and the bank says, no, it's not worth that. Who are you to say it's not worth that? Three right. buyers just said Three it's other worth it. Said it. Right, so that's where these appraisals just start banging me in the head, and I'm like, you know, you're wrong because if the market's saying it's this is the value, it's just like a trading card. Oh, it's only a card. It's only a baseball card. It's, it's worth twenty cents, but the market's telling you it's worth a hundred dollars, right? So, I mean, you got to go with that. Do you think we're gonna
0: have? Uh more virtual appraisals in the next five to ten years. I
1: definitely think that's the way, that's the trend. Um and you know, with this, No, I won't go into that. No, no. that was good. <laughs>
0: um and you know, Rich finishes off the interview by talking about real estate agents. He says real estate agents will still play a key role connecting with high impact qualified buyers who have already looked around at near the field and are ready to make an offer. That sounds like the buyer has already done most of the things that they would normally do. Maybe he's hinting at, basically, a Zillow, you know, type of buy directly from Zillow type of deal. There, you know, real estate agents—they're they're still going to be around in five to ten years, but I think their roles are drastically, especially on the buyer side, they are drastically going to change, and maybe even dwindle down to some sort of a hybrid agent.
1: Yeah, you can see already that 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 side is changing a lot. I mean, the buyers are going and and driving around and scoping things out prior to us. Honestly, I used to have a big truck or big car to drive people around in, right? Because that was kind of the norm. People would get into your car. That changed. No one's been in my car for years. So I'm like, why do I have this big car? I'm going to go get a two seater convertible, you know, like go have fun. Um, So that's kind of fun in my thought. It was like, I don't have to drive people around anymore. They're just going to follow me or I'll meet them at the house. Um, as markets change, these things change as well, right? So like usually back in the day, we'd have 13 homes we could show in one day. But now it's like, there's one and we'll meet you there or there's two, right? So uh, markets change things, uh, technology changes things. And I think in the next five years, we're definitely going to see a lot of changes in uh, I think the number one is the closing um, closing first as, as uh, all virtual. It's or... just such a hassle. It is. Everything about it needs yeah. to be
0: redone. And you know, millennials, they want the, things instantly. They want things digitally. So I think that's what's going to end up happening with a user-friendly, technology-driven experience. How's yeah. that for some buzzwords? That's awesome. Okay, guys. Well, there you have it. Another episode of The Sean and Matt Show. If you made it this far, be sure to hit the thumbs up button. Subscribe if you haven't already. And until next time, we'll see you then.
1: Take care.